0: in Hosea this manuscript of the old covenant found in the Bible what we find in Hosea is something pretty incredible we find a God who is covenant committed Uh, specifically he's committed to his own loyal love his own desire to love his people and to draw them back And he wishes with the same desire that they would love him with the same kind of love or similar kind of love that he loves them. His design and desire from the very beginning in Genesis was for us to be loved and be in partnership with him Adam and Eve beginning, friends, it is the driving force of his continuance with a people who are consistently faithless while he is faithfully consistent all the time. We find out that in, in all things about God that love leads. Everything that God does, everything that he's about, it is Wrapped in love because as we learned last week and as we probably already know and have come to hopefully experience, he is love. He is love. God's love is a holy love. And this is what makes it incredibly different from anything else we have. It is a distinctly separate thing. Anything outside of of anything we've experienced in fact we're often tempted to measure God's love by the love that we think is around us in culture and around us that we want and when we do that we woefully sell him short and we are woefully disappointed and discouraged over and over again This standard of love must be reckoned with. And this is kind of, this is in part what Hosea is dealing with, with uh, the nation of Israel and in the marrying of Gomer, that God's desire to love them is something like they've never seen before. It's a force they have never had to reckon with before. In Hosea 1 through 3, we have this wonderful opportunity to consider this one of the strangest marriages in all of history, and maybe even one of the most painful, uh, painful actions ever or sermons ever lived out by an individuals, to be really honest. Uh, God told Hosea, this preacher prophet, as we have said, to marry a woman who would be an is, turns out, to be an adulteress. We find in this storyline, as we have discovered, that these children that are born are born into and through this prostitution, this adulterous relationships. Uh, Hosea then goes and buys her back out of this command and this fidelity, if you will, to a God who loves and loves thoroughly and brings her home. What we'll find in the next few chapters, which we won't hit chapter by chapter, is God's desire to bring Israel back to himself, but it takes a set of circumstances to do that. Circumstances that sin uh, has set into motion. And while we may think that Hosea's heart is broken over his marriage to Gomer, we must reconcile within ourselves, even as we read this, that God's heartbroken for Israel, and he's heartbroken for those who have separated themselves from him and need to be loved thoroughly. So this morning, I'm gonna, we're gonna stay seated, but I want you to hear this word from Hosea, 1, Hosea 4, 1 through 3. It says this, Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel. The Lord has brought charges against you, saying, There is no faithfulness no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. You make vows and you break them. You kill and steal and commit adultery. There is violence everywhere. One murder after another. That is why your land is in mourning. Why everyone is wasting away. Even the wild animals, the birds of the sky, and the fish of the sea are disappearing. Uh, This... This level of sin that would just devastate not only the individuals and the communities that they are living, but even the land is incredible. But I think that many of us have seen the same thing. We look around us and see the same kind of uh, drastic, uh, drastic measures that sin has taken on our land and around us. As the prophet Hosea surveyed the kingdom, he he would have been just heartbroken at what's going on. His experience with his wife, but then his heartbreak, as we talked about in the first message, this heartbreak that that Israel would break in covenant and his desire to live it out. I mean, he lays this indictment out to them. No faithfulness, no steadfast love, no knowledge of himself. This last one is probably the greatest and grievous, no knowledge of God in the land. Now, could we say that that is actually true? No, because we understand from the text that they actually worship God, but they did it out of a lack of engagement, a lack of knowledge of him. This sin is great and grievous. Carl Jung, Swiss psychologist and psychoanalyst, says this, I don't believe God, I know God. This is a statement of truth of where God wants to lead us. He doesn't want us just to believe God. He wants us to know him. And we read in Isaiah 41, excuse me. there is no knowledge of God. In Hosea 6, 6, it says, I want you to show love, not sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want your burnt offerings Like Adam, you broke my covenant and betrayed my trust. You broke the covenant. You betrayed my trust. You set off and worshiped Baals and other gods. You allied yourself with other nations around you. You corrupted yourself with ideologies that dilute your devotion to me. God's desire for us even is not for ritual religious duty but a willful love on our behalf just as he has a willful love for us he wants us to love him he set us down in the garden if you will humanity in the garden to love us and to be loved too I got to thinking about, you know, how how does this work out? How does the mechanics of knowing God work? Because we could say, well, you know, you need to get an MDiv or you need to go to theology class, you need to uh, study your Bible, you need to do all, you may need to study your Bible, but you don't need an MDiv or theology or philosophy or whatever. God's not calling them to a depth of knowledge as we would understand knowledge. In our world, in our Western thought, we think if we know something in our head, we know something in our hearts but it's far from the truth. This bears itself out in Hosea. So I began to think, well, what, what image allows us to understand the kind of relationship that God wants us to have? I, I think it's the very image that he sets down before us in Hosea, this, this relationship between a faithful husband, if you will, in this case, not everybody's faithful, and a wife. And I thought, whoa, how did that happen with Kathy and I? Here we are, uh, much younger, and boy, she beautiful now and then. But how did it happen? How does the, how does a relationship see itself to fruition, to things that we desire, even on days like today? How does it see itself that way? So we, so there we were, and here we are in pro, close to present moment, almost a year later. How do, we, how do we move from just the two of us? Okay, you can start singing. Just kidding. To all of us. I, I think God desires us to know him in ways that we sometimes think that while he's holy and distinct and different, that we don't even feel invited into. So let me just chronicle, if I may, uh, You know, oftentimes when we're with couples, they'll say to us, and they don't know us, they don't know our story, they'll say, hey, how did you two meet? And so we walk through with joy how we met, uh, maybe not all the details that uh, we would want to go through, but we usually walk through those details with joy. We revisit those first days of our love, much like God directs us in Revelation, right? He directs us, return to your first love, right? Those first days, those first budding places. So here are a few things that Kathy and I would, well, kind of started us in the path. And I think that there's correlations, if you will, uh, maybe loosely, maybe closely, you can tell me that later, to our relationship with God. So one of the things that, uh, that Kathy and I did before we were married that, uh, that really kind of set the, the tone that caused conversation, that caused relationship, is that we learned to play. So the tennis is up there, the, the um, tennis ball is up there, because that was one of the first things that we did. I remember walking up to her and I, I said, hey, I understand you're going to Spring Arbor College back then, <laughs> I said I understand you're going to play in the team. She said, "Yeah, I'm going to play in the team." So, well, would you like to go off would you like to play and go off for something to eat afterward? You know, that's kind of my my way of asking her out for a date, I guess. And so we we began to play tennis and just to let you know, and some of you already know this, she beat me. She should. She was scholarship. <laughs> I was a walk-on, you know, one of those type of things, but she beat me. But those, those began to take place, and I thought, well, how, how often did we play? And I mean, the incredible thing is we actually went back to that, and we played uh, summer league in our hometown with some other couples, and we, we began to watch and observe and how they, they interact as a couple. Now, think about this. Think about this in your relationship with God. How do you learn to interact with God? One way is to just do it solo in the woods, I mean, you can do that, and there are many of our desert fathers who did that, but at first it was initiated out of a, I think, more of a communal setting. And we began to watch how they interacted and how they talked, even so much that one of the couples, we would go, I would drop in every so often and drop into their house, kind of like you call it mentoring, non-mentoring, because they didn't know I was doing this. And I'd watch how they would interact with their kids, and we were just like, wow, these are, these are a cool couple, We began to watch them and and do that. But it all started with this invitation to go play. I think Jesus, if you will, if you'll allow me, I think God invites us to play. I think he invites us onto the court and says, hey, will you walk with me? We'll get to that in a second. I think when he says, will you follow me? We think of it as this uh, religious stiffness when he actually is really looking for some fluidity in relationship. He's asking for you to converse with him one of the other things that we began to do is we began to serve together because Jesus is the center of our lives and we made it the center of our lives and so even before we were married we served uh some of you are longer time free methodists you'll know this but we actually served a joy bell class which we got much joy out of it was just incredible I was able to watch Kathy in her element and me kind of you know slink along and help her it was just a wonderful place and we began to serve together which then began this whole other dimension of relationship, right? This whole other dimension of of who she is and how she speaks Jesus, how she speaks out of her life. But I think the very same happens with us. We start to serve one another. We go to work day, not because it's a duty, but because we want to interact with other people, and we watch and we, we work with them, and we come alongside them and we realize, oh, they do this with such joy, with such effortlessness, with such desire to serve the Lord, whether there or like this last week, we had a wonderful time this last week of serving a meal to the Estabrook uh, uh, staff, and uh, just to be able to go in there and watch a few of our own Daphne Alexander being one of them to be in our element to be able to serve a meal and come alongside and just watch see when we 're when we play that 's one aspect, and then when we get to serve together, we get to watch how people interact and are in their element and really, really engage. Well, obviously, we had dates, and those are, those are vital and important. That we engage in this opportunity to have conversations that may not happen in other places and spaces. Uh, they reveal more intimacies. It's kind of like when we decide to fast and pray. We, we spend the time, we, we set aside some time with Jesus, and we go, oh, Jesus, I, need, I just need to be with you. I just need to hear your heart. You need to, I need to feel your breath, right? And date nights. And then community is a huge one. Community is this place where it's, it's not just community out there, but it's a faith community in which we spend our time, and we would do this through the years. We've spent our time with multiple communities of faith. And communities and watch them interact and how it bolstered our relationship. I think, I think this kind of intimacy, this kind of knowing is what God desires us to do with him personally. That we find ourselves not entrenched in checking off the list of whether we've read scripture every day or even if we've if we've done it right or well, comparative to our idea, it's just being in presence with him, and that's what he desires to do. Where do I get this idea? Genesis 3, 8 through 9 says this, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees, and the Lord called to the man, where are you? God's desire and design from the very beginning and what he is attempting to get the attention of through Hosea to the nation of Israel and maybe us today is that, friends, I I just want to be with you. I just want to walk with you. And yet, there may be this distance that has been created between us and him, and part of it is sin what was entered into in Genesis chapter three, but there's another part of it that could be just an aspect of the rigidity. How many of you have had the opportunity to walk alongside others who have been in dating and you hear them and you reflect and you go, oh, I remember being there and you realize that if they just shed a few of these things, if they look at it a little bit differently, they can have the intimacy they can have the conversations, they can have the play, that whatever is being sought at a much deeper level. And I think that this is what God was desiring from the very beginning. When he desired to walk with man, human, walk with them and demonstrate. In fact, we know this to be true. There's this word in scripture, it's yada, or yada, I don't know how it's pronounced but it's to know, and it's to know experimentally, experientially, excuse me, (laughs) maybe experimentally too, that, but experientially, that there's there's an aspect of a hands-on, there's a constant moving and a dynamic to the relationship that is desired, and Israel had gotten into this idea that power was was what they needed to gain. They wanted to know, you know, they wanted power, they wanted prestige, they wanted to set themselves apart, and God's desire was to free them from that desire, that drive for power, prestige, that he wanted to know them individually and communally. Why do we know that this word is experiential in its nature? Because in Genesis 4.1, it says this, Adam knew Eve, his wife. And you know what happened after he knew Eve, his wife, at this point? They had Cain. There was a hands-on, if you will. And I don't mean to be graphic, but it was a hands-on relationship. There was a desire. And this same word is used over and over and specifically in Hosea, that God desires to, for us to know him, that he desired Israel to know him in this way, not in the rigid you give, I get. I give, you get. In this fluid relationship, and it's so hard for us because he, he he he's not here with skin on, is he? But he is here in spirit, and we often move away from that. I mean, this intimate relationship that God desired is our desire. Now, to put it outside of the idea of a relationship, which I think is healthy to do, experiential is often, we say it in this way too. She has a feel for the game. Now, I know this moves it outside of the relationship, but think about this. When we see somebody who's very good at what they do, but they don't know how they do it, we go, man, they're great. And you ask them, how do you do that? I'm like, do what? They have this relationship with the game, if you will, with whatever they're doing that is so in tune. Or, man, he knows how to cook. How do you know to put those things together? I don't know. It's experiential in its nature. It pulls in all senses, those five senses that we have, and it pulls it into that area. And I think God wants us to live into the zone. You know, sometimes we say, the, per- that per- the person who designed that house Has great talent. It is the same idea, it's the same experiential, it is the same yada. The experientially to know God is to have that. He wishes us to have that same thing. We put it together. But this is the hang-up that happens with us in church and as followers of Jesus: is that belief is not equal to knowledge. Belief is not equal to knowledge. So oftentimes we'll say a creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of, we finish it, and we're good, right? We said it in church, we may even say it personally, but at what point does this belief move to knowledge, this knowing knowledge, what, what point does it move there? Why do we know that belief is not equal to knowledge? Because Scripture says it. James 2.19 says, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Belief is not equal to this knowing experientially that Hosea, that God is trying to get at with Israel and he is attempting to get at with anybody who says, I will follow you. That belief is not equal. It moves us towards that, but it's not equal to it. In fact, there's, there's a word that we sang earlier that leads us into that. And it's this, trust. Trust is the only thing that moves us to this I believe in to I have knowledge of. You can, have now, you can believe about God, but if you don't have knowledge of God, there's bankruptcy in our hearts and our lives. There's a potential movement towards that, but we have to put trust into play. So what if, what if you're there this morning? You're like, man, I, I believe God, but I've, I don't have this knowledge. I'm, I, I don't have this relationship with God that's experiential in nature, meaning that I talk to him, he talks to me. I, I see that what I do in, in the world of work, my hobbies, everything I do is an opportunity for, if you will, play or serve or community, What what do I do? Well, let me ask you a few questions. Do you have a tendency to live off the experiences of others? Is it tempting to kind of go, whoa, you should have heard their story. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but living off them as your ticket into knowledge of God is not the way to go. It's like... (laughs) It's like myself. I played basketball in high school, right? Two years. My experience was mostly in a seat. (laughs) To say that I actually played and had experience in doing many aspects or like a, a fast break at the end of the game, I could not tell you that I did. But I could live off the experience of my team. And oftentimes I would, just like many of us did. But God calls us to be part of the game. God calls Israel to not stand off, but to join. He wants them to know him just as he wants you to know him. There's a word at the end of chapter 5. It's a conditional it's word that we find. That we may even find ourselves there this morning. says this, Then I will return to my place until they admit their guilt and turn to me. For as soon as trouble comes, they will earnestly search for me. There is a condition, if you will, until you turn, until you give me recognition, until you say, I want to know you, I will go back to my room. Now, we often don't think of God that way. That he's actually gone, you know, he stays out until he's invited in, but he does. He's continually pursuing you, but you have to invite him in to know him in the way that he desires to be known. In Genesis 3.21, we see that God pursued Adam and Eve. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins and for Adam and his wife. He desired them to know him, right? He came that far, but he desires for us to walk even further. I think in a very similar and real way, God's desire for us to experience him is exactly like we experience other people. And yet we want to create it in this other other zone, other realm. He's holy and distinct, but he wants to be your friend in the room. He wants to be the God. He is holy and distinct. He wants you to know him. Just as I played tennis with God, or tennis with Kathy, I think in some ways God wants to, if you will, play with me. What do you enjoy? What do you, what do you enjoy? Do you think he takes pleasure in the pleasure you have? Do you like to serve? In what areas do you like to serve others, love others, do justice? Do you believe that God desires to be in relationship with that and he sees that as, a, as a, just a, a co-mingling, if you will, of his relationship? How about dates? How about community? I mean, I think there are all of those places that he desires for us to know him and yet we, we want to talk and we, we tend to talk in, Cryptic ways, Bible verses, not wrong, but tend to, can create a distance from God who is a living, being, Holy Spirit-driven life, right? We can do those things, but how do we do this? I think he's given us some of the ways in which we can. If those others don't resonate for you, I think in one way, he gives us Sabbath. He gives us the gift of Sabbath. It's our, our gift to be with him. It is our date, if you will, once, one out of seven, to be with him and to enjoy his presence and to learn what that is, to interplay with that. Prayer and scripture is true. We can get into it, but sometimes we can create it as a distance too, a theological Bible study instead of an interrelationship. Hosea's desire in the manuscript written that is is in there contained for us is to draw us into a relationship with him. There are other places and spaces in Scripture that have some other definitions and other desires, but God's desire is to be in partnership. He is the faithful husband who desires to have a faithful bride. Let us pray. Father, you are the true and faithful one.